Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you that you um, that you are so wise and gracious as to know that we would need uh, a means of knowing who you were. Um, we could not intuit it, uh, and so you gave us your word, uh, written by many, many authors over hundreds and hundreds of years, all one story, uh, pointing to you, to our need of you, and to our relationship to you, for the way that you've made that relationship work in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray now that you would just give us ears to hear and eyes to see and uh, grant us wisdom and understanding, uh, that we might uh, know your word better and read it more effectively. We ask it uh, through and to the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, Frank mentioned briefly in his announcement uh, at 9 that um, that this class is sort of a run-up to a Bible-in-a-year blog. Uh, Andrew and I and, and some others uh, are going to uh, put that together. We're going to post four times a week. It's going to be part of our website. Um, I find that a, a, reading, a Bible reading plan is much more effective. When somebody says, hey, I should read the Bible, where... <laughs> Where do I start? Um, and then you start at the beginning, and oh my goodness, that that seems actually that seems a little crazy once you kind of get into it. And so I, to me, if I don't have a Bible reading plan, I tend to just go back and read my favorite parts. Um, Ezekiel and and um, and Leviticus will never get read uh, if I because uh, I'm afraid, or maybe Revelation. You know, I I really like, it, but I'm kind of afraid of it. And so. Um, so there are parts of the Bible that will never get read if I don't have a Bible reading plan. And I just thought, as the canon for Christian Ed, I thought, well, what, what would happen? What would happen in our church if, if, if the church was invited to sort of read the Bible together? And um, So we're going to put out this uh, Bible reading plan. Uh, we'll, I'm working on handouts that you can just sort of take hard copy uh, as well. And then, um, and then each day, uh, well not each day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, there will be a, a post on our website um, Andrew and I are doing sort of the bulk, about half of it together, and then some other teachers um, that are also contributing to that uh, a few times a month. And Mark Genelette's going to do some, and um, so it's uh, it's just a, it's, I think it's going to be neat. And it, um, so pray for us because it's it, I'm, I'm already saying, wow, that was a great idea, but um, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, but we've got some help, we've got some editors and, and things like that. So that's, uh, that's all, all good. And um, so I hope that, you'll, that, that you will feel like you can participate on that. And if you do Facebook or Twitter and you can tweet that out to your friends, that would be even better. So um, that would be great. Um, this class is sort of just how do we read the Bible effectively? Like when we come and, and, I, and I get into Ezekiel or Leviticus or, or even the Gospels, how do I... How do I get out of it what I ought to be getting out of it rather than just what I put into it? Um, what I put into it is important, uh, but if I only get out of it what I put into it, then then I'm not I'll, I'm only going to have what I had before. So so uh, what what am what am I going to get out of it that I didn't have before, and how do I do that? So this week we're going to talk about sort of basic interpretation, and we're going to talk about the Gospels and and Acts, uh, sort of all lumped together. Uh, next week is uh, the Epistles and Revelation. Uh, then we'll, the next two weeks after that, we'll do Old Testament, uh, August 18th, the Law and History, and then the Wisdom and Prophets on August 25th. And so, um, so that'll be a crash course in Bible interpretation. Uh, we're just going to go through the different uh, genre of of uh, 
of the Bible because you can't read you can't read the Psalms the same way you read Revelation. You can't read Revelation the same way you read the Gospel, and you can't read the Gospel the same way you read Leviticus. So, um, so how do we how do we approach those things? Some of it's intuitive, and 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 is you you do well to read the Bible and never never hear a word from us about it, but. Um, but I, what we hope to, what I hope to pass on is, is sort of what I've gained from from a, a variety of sources and, and seminary and other other things since then, and just um, and sort of how how we do this. So uh, we use we use we're going to di- dive right in. We use interpretation uh, really every day. Uh, every day you use interpretation, interpreting different uh, different things. Uh, you interpret uh, what your kids say about what they've done. What what did you do? And then they say, and you got to, but you had two different stories, and so you got you got to interpret, you got to read between the lines. You, um, your your spouse or your parents, you know, their their mood. They'll say one thing, and you've learned over the years that what they say and what you know how to. Uh, you know, when they say, uh, "I love you," but that's the difference between saying "I love you." So. Um, so you're, there's a there's a close, similar words. I, I love you, but you're driving me crazy. Is a different, a totally different thing than saying oh, you're driving me crazy, but I love you. Same words, different. So you got to interpret uh, the mood there. We interpret our insurance policy when we have we have a claim. So there's all kinds of ways that things that we interpret. In each of these things, we take the information that we get, we filter those the information that we get through what we already know, and then uh, we settle on a meaning that that makes sense to us. You know, and so so we take we're our, we have an insurance policy. We kind of know a little bit about it, and we um, what, sort of what I remember from three years ago when I set it up. And so I I um, I take that information and I uh, the, what I have, I filter it through what I already know, and I settle on what things, seems best to me. And I may or may not be right. And we do, we do the same thing uh, with when we interpret the Bible. We we read it and we filter that through what we already know, and then um, and then we settle on a meaning that makes sense to us and, and may be right. It may not be right, um, and so um, so what we want to do is we just want to we just want to be sort of a software upgrade to your filter um, and for for your Bible filter. Uh, what are your questions? I want to, I'm going really old school with uh, marker and uh, newsprint here. Uh, what are your questions about biblical interpretation when you read the Bible? What what questions sort of surface for you? What 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 if you if you were to come to all four of these classes, what uh, question or questions would you hope would be answered? That would be helpful to me as we as we go along. What are, what are good resources? Okay, good resources. <clears throat> all right. The real truth. The real. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, have different um, scholars interpretations, different. Well, you're asking a priest, right. so I can tell you what I think is the real truth. Right. Okay. Good. Yes, sir. Well, for me, it's the old issue about you know how literally can you interpret it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my wife says sometimes you can't cherry pick and pick, you know just pick this stuff that mm-hmm. seems to work, but then. Uh, you know, and I reminder has been translated three or four times before it got to English, and you know, if you lose if you lose thirty percent translation each time. So we're just talking about one passage with 
was, you know, Jesus taught me you know, if your eye bends you or, you know, pluck it out. And I was thinking, man, we, we couldn't mean that in church, you know, literally. Right. That's the old debate. Yeah. Good. Yeah, we're gonna to touch on on that this morning. I hadn't thought about that passage, but that's a really good one to think about. That. Yeah. Okay. What other questions do you have as you approach the Bible? I think you've already touched on mm-hmm. one of them, but kind of how to read through it. What mm-hmm. makes the most sense? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Great. Anything else? Yeah, Will. I think just uh, how important is context, you know, the context in which it was written, and, and we try to draw meaning out of it. Yeah, great. We are not more than 10 minutes away from that discussion. That's good. Anything else? I think when I read it, I always want to know what came before it. Mm-hmm. And I tend to read and then read, I read backwards. Thank I mean, you. I read of scripture and then. I wonder what yeah. was said before and then what was said before that. When Paul says, therefore, you need to look back and see what it was there for, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, so it's just not that one that that one part you're reading, but to go back. And then, then my Bible has these little numbers that you refer to all over the Bible. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so that's when I get led into mm-hmm. a deeper meaning of what it's saying to me right in 2013 yeah absolutely i, I would i would add that into con- can i lump that in with the context so i'm gonna put a little asterisk there good all right well let's 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 get into it um the um i'm going to operate on from a couple of assumptions that are kind of kind of govern how i talk about an interpretation uh one is it's that scripture is god's word uh, it, therefore, uh, it is supremely important. Uh, it's supremely important for us as sinners uh, in need of a Savior. It is, uh, if it is God's word, it is authoritative. Um, it is, uh, and, and and also, if it's God's word to us about Himself, then it's not. He has not given it to us uh, without willing that we we should understand it. And so when we when we approach the Bible, we can understand it. Uh, we can. He wants us to understand and know Him. I don't. I don't mean that He. We. We. Just, we get our minds around all that is God, uh, but we want to know Him, and He wants us to know Him. And so He's given us the Bible. So I'm, I'm operating from that. The Bible is God's word to us. Um, and script, the other assumption is that Scripture is one story. And again, it's written over. Um, hundreds of, of years by many uh, many authors, actually thousands of years, uh, but it all points us to Christ. It all either exalts Christ or it describes our relationship to God and therefore our need for Christ or it describes our relationship to God through Christ. You might even say that um, that the Old Testament describes our relationship to God and therefore our need for Christ. The Gospels exalt Christ, and then the letters uh, after that uh, describe our relationship to God. 
through Christ. And so that really is uh, my assumption, is that the Scripture is one story pinnacled uh, on uh, Jesus Christ. It's authoritative, and, and so we aren't, we aren't the ones who get to decide what it means. Um, what it means to me is an important question. It's an important question, but it's not the first question. Uh, the first question is, what was the author intending to convey? When you're, when you're approaching the Bible, what did the author mean? Um, we're not creating meaning. We're trying to find the meaning that's already there. Um, and so when, when, you are, uh, when you're approaching the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, uh, what you want to do is you want to read the Bible as it wants to be read. And that's an important thing. Uh, it's not all. It's usually intuitive. It's not always intuitive. How does this want to be read? Does, does Jesus mean if your eye is causing you to sin, you should pluck it out, or is he making a point? I think I think he it, it, that is intended to us to be um, hyperbole. I don't think that's intended to be taken in a literal thing. When Jesus it says Jesus Jesus says I am the door. To take that literally, I mean, he's a door, but he's obviously not trying to be literal. He's 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 using that metaphorically. Um, you want to read the Bible as it wants to be read, and this is the question uh, of genre. Uh, you allow something to be metaphor uh, if it is, and you only read something literally if it's intended to be read literally. And there are lots of things that are intended to be read literally, um, but it's but the different genre are. Uh, to be read differently. You don't read poetry the same way you read a narrative. You don't read a narrative the same way you read Apocalypse. And so we, we, we understand that sort of intuitively, uh, but, we, uh, but we need to remember that. And when you say, I take the Bible literally, as some people say that, um, I, we just need to be careful about, about that. That's not a bad thing. I mean, if, I, if you're going to err, I want you to err on that side. But, um, but the... the I, you know, you let it. Mean, you read the Bible as it wants to be read, um, and and here's the other thing: it can't mean, um, it can't mean something now that it did not mean when it was written, and so that that's an important governing thing. Um, and how? So the question then is: well, how do we know what it what it uh, was what was intended then? And that is that um, you know, context, as Will asked, context is is king. Um, now the uh, where did I put that Bible? Uh, a study Bible um, is really helpful to know uh, the literary context. So this is these are two really good ones. Um, I think they're both in our... This one definitely is in our um, bookstore. I think this one is as well. This is the ESV study Bible. And what it does at the beginning of the... Um, if you're going to get into Genesis, or like, for instance, I'm preaching on Hosea tonight at the 5 o'clock service. And so I just read... Um, it's important for me to know what was going on when Hosea was was prophesying, when he was preaching to the people. What was what, what was he preaching into? Um, and so I just went back just as a refresher and and saw that he was actually preaching uh, to uh, the people of Israel who had uh, departed from um, Solomon's kingdom before they had. Uh, so it was the northern kingdom uh, before they went into exile. Well, that's really important to know when you're reading uh, Hosea, or if you're um, wanting to see uh, if you're reading Romans and you want to know what, exactly what um, uh, what was, what was the context in which Paul was talking. About. The context is, is king. What what was going on at that time? Um, this is the ESV Study Bible. This is the Archaeological Study Bible. This has some really interesting stuff as well. It kind of tells you uh, you know really specific things about 
and it doesn't answer. A lot of times I've gone to it and it doesn't answer the question I have. And that, you know that 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 happens, but um, but it's a it's a it's a helpful resource. And together they weigh about 30 pounds. Um, so bring those on the, uh, the men's hike. We want to bring those. Um, yeah. So um, uh, let's see if I can. I don't know if I can make this this work here. Um, just as a as a sort of thing. So we have there's um, there's okay, so there's there's them and and when it was written and then there's there's us. A little cell phone right there, um, and then there's this, there's this huge, there's this gap. There's at least two thousand year gap uh, between uh, us and them. And so the the question is, then how do we how do we get over how do we get over the bridge there? And um, and that's just, to me that's just sort of a, a helpful sort of um, I don't know, di- diagram way of thinking about it. The one, like I said, the one thing, the main, the most important thing, is to understand what was going on uh, in that time. Um, it is, it's been translated in a way in English that is intended to be helpful for you. So if if one if one thing meant one thing, then it's been translated in a way that you can basically understand what they were trying to convey. Now, different translations approach that in a different uh, different way, and I've, I'm, I don't want to go into what's the difference between the message and the NIV and the King James, and, um, and that's an, I can happy happy to talk to you about that. Um, but understanding the historical context is really important, and we've talked about that. Um, another I use Hosea. Another example is James. Um, we're sort of sometimes in this congregation, and, and um, folks who are really sort of grace-minded are sort of allergic to James because it, James is. Um, has, it tells you what to do a, a lot, and I was really, I was sort of found myself that way. Martin Luther even you know, called it the straw epistle, and, um, and you know, but it's, it's it's part of the canon of scripture, and that's really all that kind of kept me hanging on to James, because I, um, I, I can remember a, a class when I was in seminary, and, and uh, this student really took this professor to task um, on a, a point that it, uh, something the Bible said. And, and the professor said, look, you can't say, I don't believe that, and therefore if it's in Scripture, I, I'm throwing it out the window. You have to, you, the Bible is your filter. And so you, if you, you have to approach, if you like it or if you don't like it, you have to say, well, it's right and I'm wrong, and therefore I'm going to submit to it. I'm going to, I'm going to stand under it before I understand it. And, and so the Bible is our filter. So, if, if, so we have, like James well, what's really helpful to know about James is that James, all the people James was writing to, were, they were Christians under extraordinary persecution. And what happened in the midst of the stress that was caused by the persecution is that they started fighting with each other, and that they were just um, there was huge division in their church. And so James was trying to help them sort out that, and he was saying, "Look, y'all are Christians. Let's act like Christians." And he was just reminding them, enumerating sort of what it means. Well, that's incredibly helpful. Rather than the way it's often preached, or if it's taken out of that context, we think, well, James is saying in order to be a Christian, you have to act like this. But no, James is saying because you're Christians, bear witness to one another and to those who are persecuting you. 
So it's just a, for me, just a sort of a mindset shift and really, really helpful. So historical context. And then the literary context that Sarah Jane was talking about. What's going around, what's going on around the passage is going to really help you understand exactly what's going on in the passage. Um, a great example for that is uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You know 1 Corinthians 13? The love chapter was in your wedding. Don't you remember? It was, um, everybody has that. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. And, um, and you know what he's talking about in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 is how Christians treat one another in the church, how the church operates church order. And so he doesn't take his reprieve and go talk about marriage. 1 Corinthians 13 is how Christians treat one another and how they are to love one another. Well, that can be rightly applied to marriage, but Paul wasn't talking about marriage. So it's just a, it's just a good thing to understand uh, when, you're, when you're going through this. So that context, context is king. Uh, what's going on around the author when he's writing it? Uh, what's going on around uh, the passage when you're reading it? Uh, so those are really important. So the Gospels. So the, um, any any questions just about this super crash course in biblical interpretation? It took me 12 weeks and maybe 13 weeks in seminary to to learn what I just taught you right there. Everything. <laughs> um, uh, any questions? Man. Not yet. Not yet. My seminary <laughs> professor, he, he would be impressed. All right, 20 minutes is covered of the Gospels. Good. Um, <laughs> So you, you, I'm sure you probably know, the word gospel translates the word uh, evangelion or evangel. Uh, it means good news. And, um, and what you may or may not know is uh, the gospel means good news. The, what, the way that was used in their culture was when, like for instance, if there had been a m- major military victory, they would just log on to the internet and go on. No, they didn't have that, obviously. So they would, they would ride through town. And they would shout, "We won!" You know, or or if there's if the um, if the if the general the you know, the victorious general was coming through, the the trumpeters would come through before, and they would proclaim the good news. the The general is here, or there's a new king, a new Caesar. They would the, there is a new king here. So the the good news, the gospel, the evangelion, that was that was the proclamation of victory for the king. And so it just made sense when they were trying. Well, what, what are we going to do? Well, let's have, we're making a proclamation about the victory of the king. It's the gospel. It's the evangelion. It's the good news. And so that's um, that's how they use that. Um, and it's, so it's easy to understand why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John became known as the gospels, the proclamation of the victorious new king. Now, all four gospels they tell the same story, uh, but they tell it in different ways. If you ever read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are really similar. There's a lot of theories about that. Mark was probably written first, but not everybody thinks that. But most people think that. And Matthew and Luke used uh, Mark. They used some other uh, source called Q that we don't have. But somebody actually wrote a, based on what they, what they got from Matthew and Luke, they actually wrote a commentary on Q. We don't have Q. I just kind of people do take a lot of liberties, but. Um, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we call them the synoptics. means, you know, seeing with one eye. Um, the synoptics, they, they're basically, uh, they're similar. They take the, sa- the same basic approach to the telling of the story of Jesus uh, from the earth up. Whereas John, if you, ever, you probably noticed, John takes a different tack. John is sort of from heaven down. Uh, and it's just a, it's a, it's a different tack, but they're... They are, um, it's the same story. 
Now, there are a lot of variations uh, from one gospel uh, to, the, to the next. Some stories are told uh, multiple times. You know, Matthew and Luke may tell the same story, but they tell it. Uh, some stories are only told once. Some are, there's actually some crossover between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Um, but when a, uh, when a story is told multiple times, it's rarely told with the, with the same exact wording or the same uh, historical sequence. Um, this is what uh, the, uh, these authors that wrote, on, um, wrote a book together on biblical interpretation, Duval and Hayes, they said this, The goal of the gospel writers was to tell the story of Jesus in a faithful yet relevant and persuasive manner for their readers. Rather than viewing the differences between accounts and errors in reporting, we should see them as illustrations of the different theological purposes and emphases of the gospel writers. So what, what they're saying is that, uh, they, that ancient biographers played by different rules than modern biographers. Modern biographers, they start at the beginning and they go through in historical sequence. If you're writing a, a, reading a, a biography on Martin Luther King, you'd say he was born in Atlanta, 1929, and you would go from there and he would go through, go through his life. Uh, but the ancient biographers played, they just had a different set of rules. Of course they did. It was 2,000 years ago in a different uh, culture completely. They wanted to tell the whole story, um, or we want to tell the whole story with chronological strictness, uh, psychological examination, historical integrity. But that wasn't their, their goals. Their goals were, um, uh, were to group stories topically rather than chronologically. Uh, and they would do so in a way that fit their purpose, whatever purpose they were trying to, to reach. They wanted to list the key events that surrounded a person uh, in their teaching. So just an example uh, of, of how the stories can be different. All four Gospels, in fact, other than the crucifixion, the only, the only story that's told in all four Gospels is what, do you know? Crucifixion? What's that? No, other than the crucifixion. It's the feeding of the 5,000. So, all four Gospels tell that. Only John notes that the five loaves and two fish were given from a little boy. John's the only one who says that. In Matthew, Mark, and John, the feeding of the 5,000 is uh, followed by Jesus walking on water. But in Luke, the feeding of the 5,000 is followed by Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. As that confession has virtually no parallels in John, uh, but in Matthew and Mark it comes in a completely different historical sequence because they had different purposes. And so they weren't concerned with chronological strictness. They're, it's just a different culture. It doesn't make them wrong. It's just different what they did in that, in that time. Um, Matthew, uh, uh, or Mark and John showed the disciples are terrified when they see Jesus walking on water. Luke doesn't say anything about Jesus walking on water. Matthew's the only one to show Peter coming to Jesus on the water. So just different examples according to the each one's theological purpose. Now, um, each gospel is designed to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. But here are the different theological purposes. I don't expect you to remember it. Maybe you will, but I, uh, um, just, just to under, hear and understand. Matthew's audience was primarily Jewish. Matthew had a primarily Jewish audience, so he uh, spends a lot of time quoting from the Old Testament. Um, more than any other gospel, Matthew quotes 
from the Old Testament. He often says, especially in the first few chapters, this was uh, to fulfill what was written by the prophet Isaiah. This was uh, written to fulfill what was, um, or this happened to fulfill what was written. And so, lots and lots of times, uh, he uh, has lots of parallels. Matthew has lots of parallels between the life of Jesus and the life of Moses, or the life of Israel, as as a corporate body. And we see see Jesus as the sort of the the complete Israel, the complete Moses, the perfect Moses. He's very heavy on the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so that's Matthew. Now Mark was almost certainly John Mark, and John Mark. Uh, we read of him in Acts, and all the historical evidence from the earliest church in you know early second century um, has John Mark as a disciple of Peter. So he's a disciple of the primary disciple. So what do you think Mark's primary um, burden is in his gospel? It's discipleship. So there's there's only two real extended teaching narratives in Mark, but man, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of action in Mark, and it happens like this, and it's always happening immediately. You ever know, immediately, if you read in Mark, immediately, immediately, that word, uh, over and over again. So Matthew uh, is looking uh, to sort of prove that Jesus, to his Jewish audience, that Jesus is the fulfillment. Uh, Mark uh, is, is really, for those who want to have their faith in Christ, is looking at discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? Luke was a physician, and he was a physician before... Uh, all of the modern technology. So he he really he it was and he was he was a physician bef- before being a physician made a lot of, you know, physician made a lot of money. His whole life's perspective was helping those uh, who were hurting. And so uh, he Luke was a companion of Paul's, but his burden is understandably um, Jesus' ministry to the poor and disenfranchised. It's all through Luke. In fact, uh, Jesus announces his ministry. It's the only gospel that, that has Jesus standing up and reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Do you remember that scene in Luke uh, where Jesus says, uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news uh, to the poor. Uh, Luke's the only one that recounts that episode in Jesus' life. But all through Luke we see Jesus reaching out more than any other gospel to the poor and disenfranchised. Doesn't mean the other gospel authors didn't notice that or didn't think that was important. They just had a different burden for writing that. And then John. Same way, same message, different way. John was a disciple of Jesus. Uh, but he's uh, Jesus is in John is the he's the one. He's the one sent from the Father. Uh, he acts in unity with the Father. All of it he has seven signs uh, pointing to his divinity. Uh, the I am statements, uh, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am uh, the living water, over and over again, um, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. Um, lots of times Jesus is using the I am statements. Um, of course, that harkens back to uh, when Moses said, well, who, who am I going to tell, you know, you want me to get a Pharaoh, who am I going to say sent me? Tell him I am sent you. Um, so John it take, takes that heaven down approach, where the other ones are sort of uh, earthy and, and earth up uh, approach. So the Gospels are accounts that group historical and biographical facts in such a way as to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. That's that's what a gospel is. It's not a it's not it's not strictly a history. Um, it, they have a purpose, and, and they were operating according to their own rules back back in the day. And so they um, do that. So how do we read them? How do we interpret uh, the Gospels? They're fun to read. Uh, in fact, they're, they seem 
to be some of the most accessible parts of the of the whole Bible, because they're stories, um, and, and we can more easily than the epistles we can imagine the scene, we can sort of picture ourselves in the scene sometimes, and um, and I think it's always a good thing, um, almost always a good thing to picture yourself uh, in the scene uh, when you're reading uh, the gospel, but um, if you can flip to uh, Matthew eight. Matthew 8, chapter, uh, verses 23 through 27. All right. Would somebody be willing to read that for us? Ah. In a way that everybody can hear and clearly. Anybody read Matthew 8? Oh, sorry, I should tell you which verses. 23 through 27. Somebody read that? Right. Yeah, Jack. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even wins and see obey him? Great. Okay, so um, you imagine the scene in your mind, right? And what do you what do you see when you when you just describe what's how you picture that? Somebody just give, give me throw me out a, a detail that you see in your mind. The boat on a rocky sea. Mm-hmm. Our Lord is asleep, and the disciples become concerned and mm-hmm. ask him for help. What color is the water in your mind? Dark. 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 And what about? Yeah, white caps on it. And what about the sky? Dark. Yeah, lots of lightning. What about what? What do the disciples look like in the boat? Just in your as you in your mind. Uh huh. I think they're talking about Jesus saying, "How can you sleep and let us go do this by ourselves?" Yeah, yeah. I think you might put a little of that your own self on there. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. The, um, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, um, but that's what we do. That's what we. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. The um. The uh, but yeah no you're right like what what are, what is he thinking how and and like he how can he possibly and that's what I'm thinking like how can he if this is this awful storm how is he really is he really asleep I mean is he really asleep or is he just kind of testing their faith he's playing possum you know I don't I don't know um, and um, I learned that in a, in a class in New York City actually they talk about playing possum all the time not I'm just kidding. Yeah, sort of southern thing um, so you can see the scene in your mind and this is a way you can in um, in, in the Gospels a lot of times. Who are you in the scene? Or are you? In the, you're, you're an observer. You're outside the boat kind of watching, watching it happen. You're in the boat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've got my hands out going, okay. Yeah. Uh, he could do this, and I don't know why he's not. Yeah, that's right. Him, so. Yeah, you're just holding on, just <laughs> dear Lord. I'm waiting for the lesson to be revealed. Now, is there is there value in just taking this paragraph on its own? Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. And what's the lesson? To trust. To trust. Yeah. Because what? We're in the boat. Sometimes or another in our life. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Now, 
does it help you to understand? Because you see, this is this is uh, Matthew chapter eight. And there's 28 chapters in Matthew. So, so where are we in Jesus' ministry? Early on, we're early on in Jesus' ministry. So the disciples, remember, they Jesus said, "Follow me." All say he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and then they get into a boat and it starts raining. Okay. So, so we're early on. So does it does it help to understand that the disciples? Uh, to understand the disciples' fear, to know that this is early in Jesus' ministry, they never seen anything like. They didn't know what was going to happen, right? So that's a little bit of context for you. That kind of helps you understand. What about does it add to to the the meaning to um, to know that this follows the Sermon on the Mount, where which ends the very last uh, right at Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven. Uh, verse 28, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Mm-hmm. So there's authority. And then what do you see? Jesus heals a leper. Jesus declares um, the, about the faith of the centurions. He's reaching out to the Gentiles. He heals many. Um, then he calms a storm. Then he casts out, after that, he casts out the demon-possessed men. Then he heals a paralytic. Um, and then he calls a tax collector to be his disciple. What is Jesus issuing here? What, what is he? Uh, what is on display in every different facet? His power. His power and authority. His authority. And so does it help to know this is sort of in a pericope about Jesus' authority uh, all of chapter eight and chapters eight and nine mm-hmm. are recounting episodes of his authority over illness, over death, over uh, the demonic, um, over the scribes and Pharisees. And does it help also know that all the way up through chapter sixteen, where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, he's, that Matthew is building the case that Jesus is the Messiah, and then from that point down to Jerusalem uh, to be everything's heading towards the cross. So this is part of the disciples uh, of Matthew's um, case that he's making, that Jesus actually is the Christ. And so, you see it as um, governed by its context. You're asking the question, what is Matthew doing here? And you see this uh, authority. Uh, We narrow our reaction from Jesus is amazing and powerful, which is true, of course, he is amazing and powerful. But you narrow that to Jesus is the one with authority, even over nature itself. We're back to Genesis one and two and the creation, and the preamble in John, where um, and Colossians, where it says Jesus, all things were made uh, by him and um, and through him and for him. To Jesus' disciples were afraid because they had not yet submitted themselves to his authority. And so, what is it now? Because we've seen it in context. What does it mean to me? Well. I submit to his authority as Christ. And so you get from um, Jesus calms the storms in our lives, which he does, but he doesn't always, or he doesn't in the way that we want it. And so you, you know, you, you're just, if you take this paragraph on its own, it's easy for me anyway to, to get to, you know, Jesus, why aren't you calming the storm in my life? Just speak the word, peace be still, and why aren't you doing it? To actually submitting uh, to his authority. Come what may. Um, we see it in its context. Either way, whether he calms the storm, or as the song says, the, that cheesy Christian song, sometimes he calms the storm and sometimes he calms his child. Um, we submit to his authority. Well, let's do it again real quick. Uh, Mark 8. 
Mark 8, 31 through 9, 1. We've got, about, we've got just a couple minutes. Who can read that for us? I'll read it. All right, thanks. Mark Jesus, 8. Jesus heals a deaf man. No, Mark 8, uh, 31 through oh. 9, 1. Okay. Um, Foretells his death and, and resurrection. He, and yeah. he began to teach, that 31 to how far? Uh, through 9, 1, yep. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save him. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Yeah, one, one more. Yeah. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. All right. So what's going on right before this? Look, look and see what what's the paragraph right before this. Peter confesses Jesus as Christ, and what comes right after this? Transfiguration. Transfiguration. So right between the confession that Jesus is the Christ, which is sort of the pinnacle in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and where we see Jesus' glory in the Transfiguration comes this scene about Jesus saying he's got to uh, he's going to have to suffer and be killed. Um, Peter says, "No, you won't." Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan!" Whoever and then every um, whoever is following me is take up his cross. What is uh, given? What is around it? What is Mark? What is the burden of what he's talking about? What is Mark's overall burden? We just said, remember. Discipleship. That's right. What does it mean to be a disciple of the one who's um, in the middle of, of Peter's confession as that Jesus is the Christ and seeing that the Christ is uh, in, he is the Christ in glory on the Mount of Transfiguration? We see what does it mean to follow him. Jesus says, "Take up your cross and, and follow me." But it has to happen this way. Um, it's going to happen. Have to happen this way. Discipleship again. It's huge. Now, where are you in the story? What does it mean to me? You find the context before. Uh, you find yourself. So you see what's going on before um, you think, well, gosh, I really understand what Peter was talking about. You can, you can say that. You know, I understand what Peter was talking about. Um, or I am one of those other disciples. I'm kind of off in the background. Uh, what does it mean to me is, is it has to do with discipleship. That's what Mark is really driving at uh, here as he's grouped all these together. Because um, the glory of, we see the glory of Christ and we see... Um, 
the confession that Jesus is the Christ, but in the middle of that, what does it mean to follow Christ? And so that's, um, that's again, context is, is king. Now, just real quick, um, the book of Acts, it works a lot like the Gospels. It's, it's really, um, it, it's sort of a legitimization uh, document as a, um, an apologetic for, for the new church in, in that culture that gave no v- validity to a new religion. Um, uh, it's like a gospel, but of, of the Holy Spirit rather than of Jesus. Um, it, it says that it's a sort of proclamation that of God's the mission of God's Spirit in the world. It, uh, God's Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's written by Luke, um, the same author of the gospel, and so it sort of makes a specific uh, theological proclamation as a selective history. And, and you know, by selective history, he's kind of choosing what he wants. Peter and Paul, I mean, they preach for hours and hours, and we get it in like three paragraphs. So uh, he's he's taking he, it's sort of a summary of things, but he's, he's got the same point that he's trying to make there. Um, anyway, so so that's kind of the, that in a very big nutshell, uh, or very little nutshell, I should say, uh, the Gospels and uh, and basic interpretation. Uh, any last sort of thoughts or questions for before we get out of here? All right. I hope it's clear. I I, I wish there was more time just rushing through it, but um, if you have any questions or thoughts, uh, shoot me an email this week, and I'd love to um, bring that up again next week. Let me close this in quick prayer. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this time, and I pray that you would help us um, to see what uh, your your word means and to take that uh, into our lives in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.